Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the season of Lent, we are often asked to reflect on how we can change our lives to become more like Jesus. Towards this end, over the next six weeks, we are going to focus on what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture comes to us from Psalm chapter 112, verses 1 through 9. Praise the Lord. Happy are those who fear the Lord, who greatly delight in his commands. Their descendants will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in their house, and their righteousness endures forever. They will rise like the darkness. They will rise in the darkness as the light for the upright. They are gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with those who deal generously and lend, who conduct their affairs with justice. For the righteousness will never, the righteous will never be moved. They will be remembered forever. They are not afraid of evil tidings. Their hearts are firm, secure in the Lord. Their hearts are steady. They will not be afraid. And in the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. They have distributed freely. They have given to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their horn is exalted in honor. The word of the Lord. So our second scripture lesson today is Luke 7, 1 to 10. After Jesus had finished all his sayings, in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. And when he had heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But only speak the word and let my servant be healed, for I also am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's good to see you guys. How are you? Good. Well, during the season of Lent, we're doing a sermon series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And the idea behind this series is that we are going to try to get closer to God's spirit that is inside of us. And the more you can tap into that spirit, the more you're going to find that you have certain qualities in your life. And those qualities are listed there, self-control, patience, kindness, joy, generosity, gentleness, peace, faithfulness, and love. The hope is is that each week as we look at one of these, we will dig down into it and that you'll try to live it out during the week. And then that'll build the foundation for what we're going to be talking about in the coming week. Do you remember what we talked about last week? Patience. Patience, yes. Now I told you all last week that when we're talking about patience, this idea that Time is our most precious resource. We only have so much time in our lives. True? Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. 
And patience is diametrically opposed to time. Patience is the acknowledgement that life takes time, yes? And the issue is, is that when we become frustrated, when we feel like we are not going quick enough or the people around us are not going quick enough, we miss out on one of the most important byproducts of patience, which is that it allows us to have the opportunity to form deep and meaningful connections. When you're just flying through life, you're zooming through, you're checking things off your to-do list, you're missing out on what makes life worthwhile. Because when you die, I can tell you right now, nobody's going to remember how efficient you were at your job or how many errands you could run in a day. But what they will remember is whether or not they had a relationship with you. And the way that you can form that relationship is by having a foundation of patience in your life. And it also forms the foundation of what we're going to be talking about today when it comes to kindness. Now, when we think of kindness, we think of somebody who is friendly. We think of somebody who is gentle and helpful. Somebody who really takes the time to think about their words and their actions. But what's interesting is that very similar to patience, what you find is that if you're going to have kindness, it really is about your circumstances. There was a really interesting study that was done at Princeton Theological Seminary, and I'm just going to say right now, Princeton Theological Seminary is where I went to seminary, where Judy went to seminary. It's objectively the best seminary in the United States. Um, now, there are some people in here who didn't go there like TC, and uh, he may have a different opinion. <laughs> But in the 1970s, there was a study done at Princeton. And what they did was they took seminarians and they put them into a classroom. And they said, we want you to write a sermon on being helpful. And so they were told, write this sermon out. And then they were going to have to walk across campus to another building. And in that building, they would preach and they would be reviewed by their supervisors. So as they were finishing up their sermon the researchers, they imposed one of three time constraints on the seminarians. So the first was known as the high hurry condition, and that's when they would come to them and they'd say, you're late, they expected you a few minutes ago, you need to get across campus. If you hurry, you can get there in just a few minutes. The second is known as the intermediate hurry condition, where they said, the assistant just called, they're ready for you, why don't you head on over? And the third is the low hurry condition, where they said, you're not going to be needed for a couple of minutes. Why don't you head on over? Take your time. You can get there, and you'll probably get in within a few minutes. Now, once the seminarian got up and left from the classroom and walked across campus, they would encounter a victim who was in an alleyway. And this victim was working with the researchers and was clearly in distress. It was somebody who was coughing, he was bent over. It was somebody who, if you saw it, you'd be like, whoa, this guy really needs some help. And so, like the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you know that parable? Heard of it before? All right. Parable of the Good Samaritan, what happens? There's a guy dying on the side of the road, right? And the Samaritan comes along, and he's the one who helps him out. Now, here is the true irony of all of this, is that the text that they were preaching on, literally going across campus to preach on, was the parable of the Good Samaritan. <laughs> So they had an opportunity to take what they were about to preach on and put it into practice. Now the results of the study were very, very interesting. Because what they discovered is that for those in the high hurry conditions, only 10% stopped to help 
the person who is in need, the victim. For those in the intermediate hurry conditions, 45% stopped to help those who were in need. And those in the low hurry conditions, 63% stopped. Now, this is very surprising because the subjects of the study are people who are in seminary to become pastors. These are people who we would normally assume, right, that they're probably going to have a higher natural inclination to want to stop and help people. And they're about to go preach a sermon on the Good Samaritan. So what does this show us? It shows us that it doesn't matter who you are. That our willingness to be kind to another person is often based on external factors. It's based on time. It's based on our mental, physical, emotional state. Very similar to what we talked about last week with patience. If you are going to be kind, you often have to be in the right mental state if you're going to be kind to every person you encounter. And this is particularly true when you're dealing with the responsibility that has been laid on your shoulders. So, in the Princeton scenario, you have these seminarians. They've been given an assignment. The assignment is to preach a sermon, right? Now, once they leave to go across campus and they encounter this victim who is in need, what's going on? Why is it that you have these people who are moving on? Well, there's a tension there, is there not? And what is the tension? The tension is that they feel the responsibility to go and preach this sermon, and then they feel a responsibility to help this person out. And the question is, which of those is going to win? Now, for most people in this study, right, the responsibility to preach this sermon won out over the responsibility to help this other person, which we can very easily judge, can we not? I mean, it's easy for us to sit here and judge that and be like, come on, guys, you're going to be pastors. What are you doing? Right? But I can tell you that as somebody who preaches sermons fairly often, that I do have a lot of sympathy for them. Because I can tell you that when I come here, like today, when I get here, I feel a lot of stress and pressure on my shoulders. Because not only did I have to spend all the time to write the sermon, but I had to spend all the time to memorize it. I spent the time working on doing the PowerPoint. If I have other things like videos, I've had to edit those together. If I have sermon props, I've got to get them in. So there's a lot going on in my mind. And if I'm being totally honest with you, what that means is, is that when you're talking to me, like before the sermon, I'm there. <laughs> but I'm not totally there, right? <laughs> because, you know, I feel the pressure. Like, I want to do well for you all. I want you all to have a good experience when you're in here. You took the time to come here on daylight savings, you know? And I want you to feel like, you know, it was worth my time to get up and go. Now, I tell you all of this because when you're focused on your own needs, it's very hard to focus on the needs of others. And so when we're talking about the quality of kindness, what we have to often realize is that we need to be observant of what's going on in our own minds and in our own bodies. So if you feel tired, if you feel stressed, if you feel pressed for time, if you're worried about somebody who's important in your life, or if you're worried about a responsibility, then it's going to take a lot more effort on your part. You're going to have to be a lot more conscious of what's going on in order to be kind to the people around you. And indeed, I think that kindness really requires a total observation of your environment. You've got to see what's going on. And if you're in here, right, if you're like, oh, I've got to do this thing, it's really hard to focus on that. Would you agree? 
Okay. Now, I think one of the best examples of kindness is actually what we read this morning from the Gospel of Luke. So what happens is, Jesus, he walks into the town of Capernaum, and immediately when he gets into this town, he finds out that there's a slave who is sick and ill and in need of healing. Now, generally speaking, this wouldn't be an issue. Slave who's sick, yeah, I'll go fix him, right? The problem is, is that the slave belongs to a centurion. Now, you have to understand what a centurion is to understand why this matters in this story. So a centurion was an officer in the Roman army who was responsible for a centuria. And the centuria, that is uh, the smallest unit of a Roman legion. So a Roman legion was about 6,000 soldiers, and so this centurion was responsible for about 166 of those soldiers. Centurions formed the backbone of the Roman legion because these were the guys who were responsible. They kept their soldiers in line. They made sure they were disciplined. They made sure they followed orders. And because of that, the centurions made a lot more money as an officer, and they got more of the spoils of war than your average soldier. Now, I tell you all of this because what you have to appreciate is that in Jesus' part of the world, the people who were responsible for maintaining law and order, it was the Roman army. So we have what? We have police officers, right? The army is not the one who's going to come in and keep us under control. But in that part of the world, the army did. And so the soldiers, they enforced the Roman laws at the behest of the centurions. And so the Jews really disliked centurions quite a bit because they were responsible for the oppression of the Jewish people. At the word of the centurion, what you would find is that the soldier would not just come after the public. They would harass they would sometimes arrest, beat, sometimes they'd even kill members of the public. It all depended on what the centurion said. So under normal circumstances, the slave gets sick and they say, oh, he belongs to a centurion. Most people would be like, tough luck, right? You're getting what you deserve for oppressing our people. And you also have to appreciate that at this time, the Jews were a very insular bunch. If you read the Old Testament, those laws, what you will find is that there is no stipulation in those laws that the Jewish people have to be kind to anyone who is not Jewish. So if you're a Gentile, non-Jew, doesn't matter. So let's take Leviticus 19.8, perfect example. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, this should sound similar to you, right? Who uses this? Jesus does, right? It's part of his greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus leaves out the first part, which is actually really important in this. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people. Who is your people? The Jewish people, right? So basically, if you're not Jewish, this doesn't apply to you. Okay? So as a Jew, you are only responsible to love your neighbor if your neighbor was Jewish. So Jesus, what does he do? He shows kindness and compassion to this centurion, a man who is part of this much larger machine of oppression of his people, and yet he's willing to do this even though he has every reason to not do it. Now that is the very essence of kindness, is it not? When you are able to strip away every reason for not showing somebody kindness, you get rid of every excuse for not showing them kindness, and you see a person as a human being who is deserving of love, that's when you've tapped into the, the kindness that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. So 
When you're talking about the spiritual discipline of kindness, what that means is, is that God is getting rid of all of the barriers, all of the prejudices that would normally cause you not to show kindness to another human being. Indeed, I believe that true kindness is blind. And that ultimately, when you show someone true kindness, it has this real healing effect, as we saw in the story with the centurion. It has this healing effect. And I've seen this as a pastor. When I was working as an associate pastor at Pine Street Presbyterian Church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, I was an associate there. I'd been there for about a year. My boss called me into his office. He said, Alex, I have an assignment for you. And I said, okay. And he said, look, we just got a phone call. And there's a former member of our church who is very sick. His wife would like a pastor to come over and see him because she's afraid he's going to die soon. And she doesn't want him to die without seeing a pastor. So I said, well, okay, why don't you go? And he said, well, the reason why is he's a former member is because we got into a little bit of a tiff with each other. So uh, I'd like you to go because I don't think it's going to go very well if I go over there. And I said, okay, sounds good to me. So I get up, I go over to the hospital. I meet this woman, his wife, outside of his hospital room. And she says, thank you very much for coming. I don't know how he's going to respond to you, but I just felt it was really important that he see a pastor before he dies. So I'm like, all right, let's see how it's going to go, right? So we walk into the room. I get in there, and immediately I know this is going to be bad because I can just tell he's eyeing me. I don't look like a doctor, right? So it's, I'm not like wearing the doctor's uniform. So he knows I'm not that, and he knows I'm not a nurse either. So I'm nothing that he's aware of. And he basically says in a very gruff voice, who are you? And I say, well, I'm the new associate pastor at Pine Street, right? I'm here to see you. And he immediately shoots back at me, and he says, I'm done with that church. I'd appreciate it if you leave now. And so I stand there for a second, and I said, look, I don't know what happened between you and the pastor, but I don't really care either. I'm, I'm here to care for you. So do you want to have a conversation with me? And he kind of was like, no, not really. And I said, but I heard from your wife that you were from Virginia. Is that true? And he said, yeah. I said, well, look, I'm from Virginia originally, and, and I grew up, and we happened to start talking about just where we were from in Virginia. And, and I kind of was able to get his guard down a little bit. And so we kind of got into this larger conversation. You know, he slowly took a while. It slowly, he opened up to, to talking to me. And I got to know about him, where he grew up, where he went to school, his career. He switched career a couple different times. I got to know about his kids and his grandchildren, how proud he was of all of them. And before you know it, an hour had gone by. We were able to talk for a full hour. I'd softened him up a bit, and we were able to just have some time together. And at the end, I said, you know, would you like me to pray with you? I need to get going. He said, I very much appreciate that. So we prayed, and I left. And so a few weeks later, I get a call from his wife. And she said, you know, thank you so much for coming by and seeing him. You know, after you left, he actually said that I, maybe I've been angry all this time for no reason. And she said he died very relaxed, he's very peaceful, uh, and she said she hadn't seen him that way in a long time. Now, I tell you that not just to say like, oh, look at what I was able to do, right? I'm not trying to say that. What I'm trying to, I tell you this story because I think we often think of kindness as a quid pro quo. Right? I'm kind to you, and you'll be kind to me back. 
And I think most people, you walk into a room, you know the person's going to be possibly angry with you. You know, a lot of people would be like, the, at the first sign of anger, you said, all right, well, I gave it a shot, right? And then you turn around and you leave. But the reason why we see it that way is because we think of kindness as something that you earn, right? You show kindness because, well, that person deserves my kindness. But that's not the way this whole concept of kindness works when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus tells us again and again that you need to be kind regardless of the situation. And I think to outsiders, it's very easy for us to sit there and to judge that. Like, I think for an outsider to Christianity, they sit there and they'd be like, this is ludicrous. Why would you do this? Why would you be kind to somebody who is angry and mean and hurtful? Why, why would you be kind to somebody who doesn't have your best interests at art, who is more than likely going to give you more abuse because you've been kind to them. Why would you do that? But when you step back and you take a look at what he's trying to do, you realize that there's actually a method to Jesus' madness. It's actually quite ingenious what he's talking about. And to understand what he's doing, you have to appreciate that kindness is a sort of currency in our lives. So do you know what I mean when I say, do you know what currency is, right? So like money is a currency in our lives, right? And people who have a lot of money, what do they have access to? They have access to resources and they have access to influence, right? And so if you have a lot of money in our society, you have a lot more likelihood that people are going to listen to what you have to say. Your opinion is going to matter a lot more to somebody who has to somebody in society if you have money. Why do we listen to a Jeff Bezos or a Bill Gates or a Warren Buffett? Why do we care what they have to say? We care because depending on how they use their money, that can shift the tide of our society in major ways, right? The same thing is true of kindness. Kindness is a currency. We don't often think of it that way, but that is how it operates. When you are kind, it actually allows you to have influence in another person's life. Kindness, when you show kindness, you can exert influence. People are more likely to listen to what you have to say when you are kind to them. And people who are overtly kind, they can have the same kind of influence as a Jeff Bezos or a Warren Buffett or a Bill Gates. Take Mother Teresa. Now, if you all, she is like one of my favorite people to study. This woman is really remarkable. Because this is a woman, how, do you know how much money she had during her lifetime? She was a nun. She didn't really, she had none money, right? Like, she didn't have any money. Like, this is, she's, she's poor. And yet, this woman who was known for her kindness, people would come to her and ask her opinion about things. People with massive amounts of resources would say, what should I do with my money? And they would listen to her because she was kind. And it's not because she had money that they sought her opinion out. It's because she was known for her overt kindness. You see, we underestimate the power of kindness in our world. And I think that's why Jesus tells us we need to truly cultivate kindness in our lives because that's the one thing, out of all the things we're talking about, the truth is kindness has the most direct impact. When you are kind, you have the capacity, literally in the moment, to form deep and meaningful relationships. When you are kind, you have the capacity to heal the brokenness in people's hearts. When you are kind in the moment, you can break down the barriers 
and the prejudices that we build up against each other. Kindness literally has the ability to change the world in real time. And so here's what I want to end with today. I want to end with a challenge to you all. A little pact. Are you willing to make a pact with me today? Thank you. Well, I got one person. That's good. (laughs) All right, so here's the pact that I would like you all to make with me today. Over the next week, I want you to be kind, not just a little kind, a lot kind, to every single person you encounter. Whether they are kind to you or not, I want you, depending on, I want you to, whoever you meet, whether it's a stranger, somebody you know, whether you have history with them or not, I want you to show them kindness. Because if what Jesus is telling us is true, that kindness changes the world in real time, there should be evidence of that through your kindness. That you should be able to see that. And if you go over the top with it, if you're kind with them, whether you feel they're deserving of it or not, you should be able to experience some of that change in the world. In the same way that I walked into that hospital room and I was able to change that man through the kindness that I showed him, you all should be able to do the same. And I want you to do that throughout the week because I think you'll be surprised at what you find. I think you'll be surprised at not only how you can change the lives of others, but how that kindness is going to change you as well. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.